Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I'm joined by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello. And tonight, we welcome our friend, freelance writer, Ian Boudreau. Hey, everybody. And finally, we welcome designer Rod Humble, who I believe is best known for the war game Stavka OKH. Rod, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about a, an odd little modern war game called Army Brigade, by Vitica Studios. And it is a it is one of those Cold War turns hot in the 1980s. Uh, you know, tactical war games modeling the 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 war that never was uh between the Warsaw Pact forces and NATO. And right away I begin running into trouble with how I describe this because its structure is so different from what I typically associate uh, with a with with a major war game, uh, Troy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what this game is and 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 how it works? What, what do you find when you open the box, as it were? Um, I mean, look at this game as kind of on a triangle. In one angle, you have close. One of the angles you have close combat. One of the angles you have war game, and one of the angles you have flashpoint campaigns. And at different parts of the game, you'll find yourself on the line between one or two of those angles. Um, and this game is reminiscent of so many other uh, small-scale tactical war games that we've seen, uh, real-time tactical war games that we've seen in the last uh, decade or so. Uh, the, exchange, the battles are generally quite small. Uh, I love how you could, it comes with about a dozen different scenarios um, you know, in the Fulda Gap region, you can play as the Germans or the Poles. There's the Finns, who aren't Fulda Gap really, but everyone likes the Finns because they're fun. And it's a Finnish studio, so you got to have a Finnish army, I guess. Uh, the encounters are quite small, uh, generally. You might have a couple of armored uh, brigades and some mechanized infantry, but you're not commanding a whole entire front. Um, it, the, game, the battles seem smaller and less crowded than... Um, the ones in Flashpoint campaigns and less chaotic than the ones in Wargame, and but just as deadly as the ones in Close Combat, at least when I'm in charge. Uh, you there are like uh, Flashpoint, there are delays in orders, especially the further away you get from your headquarters. Uh, like Wargame, it is kind of a fetishistic love of equipment, uh, where they try to faithfully capture everything and every angle and every type of penetration for weapons. Uh, and like close combat, it is very much about seeing the enemy before they see you. Uh, that you can be shot at multiple times by things you can't see, and that off-map weapons like artillery and airstrikes can have a decisive effect, provided you have the spotters in place. It is not a game I will pretend to be good at, 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 at by any strength. Uh, any uh, part of the imagination, but it is uh, one of the most interesting and I'm not going to say compelling, but interesting and quick short war games I've encountered uh, this year. Rod, when we were sort of getting ready to record the show, you were you were trying to set the mood a little bit and passing around some reading material uh, that might get us fired up to talk about this game and maybe inspire us in our future endeavors. Uh, you were you were busting out Cold War doctrine and uh, 
order of battle analysis uh <laughs> books and, and i'm curious uh were you just kidding around or does this does this game sort of inspire some some serious study and and thought as you play it uh i i think it does i, I think part of the reason i was i was sharing that was um uh this is a nostalgia game for me um you know i think a lot of us who are into war games have certain nostalgia for how we got into it um and so for me this comes through this axis of um i think it was the david is now i now i should look it up uh david isby um uh the soviet army book you know this this classic big green tone um and then i come to war games from miniatures war games when i when when i was a kid in england so you know the wrg modern rules Corps Commander or Corps Commander, which is Bruce Reed Taylor. Um, and it seems to me that this Armored Brigade owes a lot to that heritage of the miniature war game side, which was prevalent in the 1990s. And, and in each of that case, each of those cases, those, those war games were very often about different doctrines. You know, like during the Cold War, we obsessed a lot, at least on the civilian side, about, oh, it's the uh, flexible, usually we implied we're more intelligent uh, uh, people on the NATO side versus these, uh, uh, you know, the bad guys on the Soviet side who we looked at. Who, um, and, you know, how, does that, how do these two opposing doctrines work? One is very rigid um, and the other one emphasizes you know, individual command um, and initiative. So... So that was why I, I was posting those links. It, it's um, it's a it's a very nostalgic game for me. It brings back a time when I was growing up, um, when the Cold War was very much the present conflict that was on everybody's mind. Now, Ian, I know when I when I passed this game along to you, uh, you took to it like like a duck to water. And what surprised me was the degree to which it sounded like a lot of this game was deeply intuitive to you. Like you understood, like you seemed to have a strong feeling of like what this game was abstracting and how it was going about modeling the, you know, action in detail and miniature uh, and how that would map back to the way actual combat formations would, would behave. And I was sort of, I was sort of struck by that. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I guess most of the time that I spent with real time strategy games, I mean, with the exception of, you know, or close combat, um, it's a, it's a big push to uh, have a high APM. And uh, you, you think of StarCraft or, or, or just about any other um, uh, RTS. And, uh, and the, the genre has really kind of gone down the tubes. And I think that may just be because its lunch is being eaten by the MOBAs or, or whatnot. But, um, but for those of us who are you know, past 30 and, uh, and not um, getting any faster, uh, the way that um, Armored Brigade uh, plays with time, I think, is really – it's a uh, – it's a little bit easier to um, to uh, enforce your will on the battlefield, I suppose, in, in a way that that makes sense. And uh, and it's not demanding in terms of how many times or how quickly you're going to be clicking on the screen. Um, really, what you're seeing here is uh, it, once the battle begins, I think what you're looking at is uh, the execution of a plan that you've you've uh, put together before you push play. Um, I like that a lot. I think uh, it um, makes a lot of sense for a, uh, a real-time war game uh, to um, 
to experiment this way with uh, with time. Like um, you mentioned there, or Troy mentioned, I believe there's there are these delays uh, in uh, in orders. Um, it takes time for your artillery tubes to uh, to uh, re-aim, and those can all be modified by uh, the uh, their uh, proximity to their headquarters units um, or the the command element that you're uh, that, that you're at, that you're ordering, uh, for instance, if you're uh, you order a company uh, to move someplace, it's going to be a quicker turnaround for that order to begin uh, executing than if you start getting fussy and picking up platoons to uh, and squads to to individually order around, which you can do, uh, but I found at least in my <laughs> In my experience, that when I get to that point, I've usually already lost. So, um, but it, it makes a lot of sense, and to me, it just it, uh, watching a battle play out feels um, genuine in a way that I, I haven't really seen done before. So, uh, this was just exciting to me right away. So, uh, one thing I want to jump into here is just the way that the game uh, sort of your relationship with the map and the way the map ends up sort of being the foundation of the game, because this was one of the most uh, salient features talked about before this game came out. And honestly, I tend to be suspicious enough of sort of procedural generation or it's not that I'm like scenario editors. I'm associated to that. I, I, I generally associate with varying quality. You'll have different scenario designers sort of take different stabs at topics, but basically they have to create almost a, a game unto themselves uh, to make a scenario work. What this game ends up doing is it's got a bunch of pretty high resolution maps of what were considered the likeliest battlegrounds of uh, a cold of a cold war turned hot uh, in in Western Europe. And one of the ways you can, and this seems to be what the game sort of funnels you towards, because a lot of the pre-rolled scenarios are uh, also fulfilling kind of a tutorial function, but what the the game actually seems to be funneling you towards a little bit are these sort of quickly, like, roll-your-own scenarios that give you kind of a shocking, for me at least, a shockingly granular uh, approach to launching a quick scenario. What you do, for instance... Uh, and I was sort of playing around with this uh, in the pa- in the past week. You basically draw a box around the part of the, <laughs> the the part of the theater you want to have your scenario take place in. That's your board. Then you set a bunch of other parameters. Uh, you know how heavily damaged is, is this environment uh, from combat? Is this sort of day one of the war, or is this you know day twelve and everything's sort of blasted to hell? Um, and then you sort of do the typical points allotment for each side. What type of engagement? And usually, I, I just I distrust uh, a system like this to generate compelling or dynamic or interesting engagements. I always I always worry something like this is going to feel a little bit slapped together. The way like Steel Panthers uh, random scenarios to me always felt a little bit. It always felt a little bit like, of course, a computer made this because it's kind of just a bunch of junk thrown thrown in a blender and a uh, and a scenario spit out here at the end. I am kind of surprised at the degree to which this actually works and serves up roughly the the engagement I was kind of hankering after when I was setting the parameters. And I'm curious if 
y'all are having that experience when you, when you play with the quick scenario generator. This is a really, really good scenario generator. Uh, and I think because it focuses on relatively small-scale uh, scenarios and small-scale engagements, you might have however many points to throw at it, you're never going to add you know, too many units to the board. Um, it's just really, really well done. The maps are big enough that you can draw an interesting battlefield, no matter where you are. I mean, you can even say which side is air superiority uh, if you want. I mean, why would you want to get like, air superiority? you got to be some sort of masochist for that, I suppose. <laughs> um, so you can have you know, air power. You can have off-map artillery. Um, I think that even though it's called Armored Brigade, it never tries to <coughs> force too many tanks on you. Mm-hmm. It tries to keep a, a relatively respectable and realistic mix of mechanized infantry and proper main battle tanks. Um, and plus, you know, self-propelled artillery and self-propelled mortars. So it feels like a real army you're playing with. And I think that's, you know, compared, you compared to the, the garbage of Steel Panthers, was just, you know, let's just throw some crap in a box and see what comes out. Um, this doesn't do that. And... They set the objective points. I mean, the, the the meeting engagements are always a lot of fun because you have to, you know, it's like a combat mission. Combat mission would have uh, randomly generated scenarios, which were pretty good uh, for most of the time until the shock force came along. Uh, the combat missions was pretty good. And as always, the meeting engagements were kind of the most fun, where both sides would try to rush to capture the victory locations. Um, except here, you can't just rush forward because I think... One great thing about the scenario designer and the scenarios in general, when you play them out, is I I don't think I've ever seen a game really capture just how far these sons of bitches can shoot. Yep. I mean, like, you'll get hit by a tank. You can't even see. It's just, it gets the line of sight. It gets the spotter. You don't. And the next thing you know, your entire column's in flames. So there's this... So when you're planning out your scenario, you're also planning out, okay... What kind of approach do I want to have? Do I want to just have a bunch of guys in the field rushing forward, uh, shooting at each other, see who gets a battle of, of, of the gunmen? Do I want to have a scouting and air power be the thing? And you can make that. You can absolutely make that with this very simple, simple and flexible scenario generator. I'm a huge fan. And there's, there's miles and miles of map, too. I can't really stress that enough. The four maps that are included are, uh, I mean... It includes uh, the National Training Center at Fort Irwin, which is uh, this enormous stretch of tank ranges out in California's Death Valley, uh, which goes on forever. And uh, I mean, you could even, if you wanted to, you could have a Soviets versus the U.S. battle on the cantonment area where everybody's supposed to live there. But uh, it's got all of it. And there's no, I mean, like Rob described, uh, you're able to basically just draw a box around anything. And and there's limitless potential for uh, um, where you want to uh, have these kind of scenarios pop out of. I mean, I, I'm really impressed by the size of the maps that just come with it. Me, me, me too. And I was, um, uh, I, I'd also put in a note of disagreement, which is I'm always skeptical of pre-baked scenarios in a war game like this. Like I always just roll my eyes. I'm like, oh dear. Um, and the fact that this one had a scenario generator built in, um, is what made me purchase it. Like I, I, I've got no interest in. Wait, really? 
Yeah, pre-built tactical scenarios are just... Isn't that most of them? Inevitably a disappointment. Yeah, which is why I... And I'd also... I'm going to put my head above the trench and defend Steel Panthers, and I think that although the scenario generator for this game at the tactical level is better than Steel Panthers, um, I do th- I do think it misses the linking of campaigns with the mm-hmm. procedural generated scenarios that Steel Panthers had. Um, and I think that, you know, that was the biggest miss of close combat. And sadly, this game has also missed there. But I agree with everything else. Like the scenario generator here is phenomenal. And it may not be clear to folks who haven't played it yet, but when we say, oh, there's this map and you get to pick a little bit of it, these regions are huge. And when you pick an area, um, and it's as good as a procedural generated map, to be quite honest. Like you can just pick any area you want. Like I picked an area of Finland and basically said, it's Angola, right? Like this is, an, this is Angola because it's wooded and here's an airfield. So now it's going to be a game of these two um, Soviet-equipped forces fighting around an airfield in Angola. And it worked perfectly great because you can pick, okay, I want this side to be on the north, this on the east, mm-hmm. this on the south, all the weather, terrain destruction. Like it really is extremely powerful. So it's, yeah, I'll tick every box. It's a bit like, um, you know, if you're having trouble visualizing this, just imagine like you open Google Maps and you just start zooming in on a city you've never visited. And you're like, I wonder what a street fight would be in this random neighborhood I've chosen down to, you know, what would it be like to have a street battle across these six blocks in this in this park? You have that level of resolution and then the, and then you can zoom all the way back out to the point where you are looking at the better part of, you know, almost like an entire state uh, is, is how it feels. Uh, so it's, it's quite something. And uh, I don't think it would work nearly as well as it does if the AI, at least to me, seems pretty damn convincing and it seems to know how to use the tools in in its toolbox and in particular and here we begin to get into the ways i am which uh, the ways in which i'm just a garbage uh cold war commander um as a child of uh sid meyer's gettysburg and uh, a lot of horse and horse and musket war games for me, on some level, I'm always looking for just good terrain to dig into and cling to, and I'm just going to hold it down. And once I've identified what the good ground is, uh, that's pretty much, that's going to be the dance floor uh, for this engagement. What this AI is maybe, is kind of Hall of Fame caliber for me, at least. Uh, this is not an AI that will march into a meat grinder more than once. Um, the thing that I'm not that I'm not adapting to very well in this game and this this happens to me again and again, is you'll get the drop on the enemy, and they'll be doing sort of a recon by fire, and they'll be sending some recon uh, you know, armored vehicles up a road or something, and you'll get a few shots off, and you might even knock out several vehicles, the better part of an armored platoon. Um, and I'll look at that, and I'll be like, great, what an awesome position I have. That's a good start, and I'll wait. And like clockwork... Well, the AI will do it. The survivors will back off. The AI will just back off of that, of, that, of that kill zone. And then about 90 seconds later, the first ranging shots start dropping on my position. And <laughs> if your units are not embarking or rolling out of that position as those first ranging shots are starting to fall, and they're probably pretty well aimed, about 30 seconds after that, the world is going to end. 
for for everyone in that kill box. And the AI is so good at basically knowing when to back off, when to deploy fire support, when to hold up and wait for an airstrike, and also just occasionally when to just run straight at you with a fast-moving armored platoon and just cover the ground and get in your face and, and deal with you that way. Uh, that <clears throat> I find this is a war game that is consistently forcing me to be more dynamic, more reactive, and more, um, I guess, <laughs> less optimistic about my chances of staying in a prepared position and, and surviving that. Because this is uh, a bit like, you know, war game, airland battle, or, or European escalation. Uh, Cold War uh, military technology is about being able to kill from a ridiculous distance, as, as, as Troy pointed out. But also the fact that, like, indirect fire, um, fire support, is so much more effective than anything you've seen modeled in a World War II game, for instance, or a horse and musket game. They don't really compare. Once cluster munitions begin falling on an infantry position dug into a forest, um, that's it. That's 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 the ball game for that for that formation. Uh, and the only thing that's going to like survive to, to that's going to help you is is not being there. And that makes this one of the most suspenseful war games I've ever played because at any moment I am just waiting for the sky to fall in. I I think it's because um, just to follow on from what was said earlier. I think this game is a masterclass in uh, modeling time, space, and particularly information. Right? You, you, well put. And, and, and I think it's why the AI works so well is, you know, the AI, usually when you program an AI, at least in my experience, your, the AI that you're coding is dealing with limited information. And this game has taken that and applied it to the human as well. And so you're on this like relatively even footing where, okay, I literally, I have no idea what wiped out my, my recon tanks. They never saw what hit them. And you know what? I'm never going to know because by the time I get there, whatever it was has moved away. And it's, it's a beautiful, um, there's a beautiful elegance to it that um, uh, I haven't seen before. And so I, I was super impressed by it. Often you don't even know what you've killed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not just no. It's just you know, you'll see you a tracked vehicle, and then you just blow it up. You know, it's a bad guy. Uh, so you're just shooting at everything there. It's, I mean, Rob, you're absolutely right with the whole. I was playing before this podcast started, decided to get some more research in, and my I had some AT weapons set up, and they just devastated a Soviet column coming, and I was just too complacent with where they were sitting. And the next thing I know, that entire force is on fire. And those guys just cannot get out. I was sending infantry on a rush through a town, and then that town gets completely obliterated, and the infantry with it. Um, it was just a complete disaster. Uh, and helicopter, by helicopter scouts uh, got taken out because they ventured too far out and could not get back in time. There's, this is a game where the you can you can see and feel the AI adjusting, where you can tell that it's or it feels like maybe we're wrong maybe this because we don't know what's going on inside the black box, but it gives the impression that it is taking new information and processing it and adjusting its plans, and that is something you do not see in very many war games. Uh, certainly, you don't see it a lot in turn-based war games at all because turn-based war games aren't set up like that. 
But in real-time war games, it's very, very difficult to get the sense that the AI is reacting to a general battlefield instead of a particular threat where it might overreact to. This is a game that I find the AI, the AI will stick to its plan. It won't meet one threat and then send everything to react to that one problem. It will stick with its plan if it's working on one side, uh, but adapt on another. Yeah. So it's there is this sense that this feeling. It's if it's a if it's you know a Wizard of Oz type thing, and that's some guy behind the curtain pressing buttons. Congratulations! I mean, you've given me a heart and a brain. This is just fantastic because it feels like I am encountering a thinking opponent in some way. Uh, that the adjustment is a real adjustment. Uh, and it's hard for me to adjust because that means I have to not just anticipate what I've seen, but anticipate, okay, I was just killed by something over there. Where is that going to be in four minutes? Where is it going to be in five minutes? Can I adjust my artillery to take advantage of my expectation of their advance? Will my artillery adjust in time or should I rely on my mortars to slow them down? Uh, so I end up having to react and think in new ways that I haven't had to in many war games since, you know, I mean, like I mean Flashpoint Campaigns is one of my all-time favorite uh, real-time war games. And I think this is in that league. It's, it does. I think that's well put. I mean, what I found myself remembering as I'm starting to kind of embark on a mission or a, or a scenario that I've kind of rolled is uh, you know, you're you're going through the same kinds of uh, sort of analyses that you would imagine that a real battlefield commander would, which is look at the terrain. Okay. Well, we have, uh, we have roads coming from the North and South. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there's some uh, high Hills on the East. Uh, we're likely to put, you know, that's likely where the enemy's going to have scouts. And uh, so we're, we're, we're probably going to encounter heavy resistance here. Uh, you have the opportunity uh, before a scenario begins to place artillery reference points on the map, uh, which uh, I thought was brilliant because those will make it. Those are places where your artillery is zeroed. Uh, basically, your where you tell uh, where you ask for a fire mission after that will be relative to those points, and it's it's much faster if you've got those placed down. Um, so it pays to have a good read of the map and of uh, what you anticipate the enemy bringing. Um, so the, the verisimilitude that it, uh, it at least uh, the artifice is there. It, it really has excited me. Uh, like, I don't think anything else that I've played personally, it, it feels like something that's uh, that's very genuine, authentic. Yeah. I wouldn't overlook um, the fact that it all feels really um, intelligent or it feels like, you know, the opponent is actually trying to think things things through, even if that's not true. And obviously it isn't. It's, you know, it's an AI and it's randomly selecting like three waypoints in the general axis of where it's meant to go. That's kind of irrelevant because the game succeeds because we all feel like, OK, I'm in a real fight here. Like, I don't know what this thing is going to do next. And I've been caught out many times and even if it's projection, again, it doesn't matter because a lot of games don't achieve this level of projection. I'm like, holy crap, like this thing outflanked me. <laughs> How did it do that? You know, it's great. It's a wonderful feeling. Well, and I think one reason it, it, it pulls that off is, again, because so many of these scenarios are <clears throat> randomly rolled that 
you're playing it you like what you know going into scenario usually is you you probably bought your own forces using whatever your points buy was for the scenario uh but you only know vaguely what type of formation you're up against probably but there's still a lot of variance that's possible within that because the way you prep your forces is uh each side sort of goes through its screen and depending what sort of uh unit template that's following say mechanized it will have a different balance of uh points that are available to purchasing recon units to purchasing infantry to purchasing mechanized armored etc um and so right from right from right from the jump you don't really know what you're up against um there's there's a lot of variance that's possible there but because the the scale of this game is such that weapons can it can fire pretty far, and in some ways that can make the battlefield very small. But at the same time, this is also a war game where frequently you might have, like, two complete, like, large towns on the same map and separated by, like, a significant strip of highway connecting them. Uh, and that's not even that's not even the whole map. That's, that's only part of it. And so you'll have this feeling on, on, on a lot of maps where... The terrain just seems to swallow up your forces. You always, you never, like, I rarely ever felt like I had a good grip on where I should put the balance of my forces. And so when the AI would do something like, you know, I probably just gambled wrong and I didn't cover this, uh, you know, dirt track road, uh, you know, to the north of the map that ran along some farmer's fields. I just didn't, I didn't have eyes on it. I just gambled there. There wouldn't be forces there. I got brushed aside. So when the AI shows up with, you know, a massive uh, mechanized and armored force coming from that direction. To me, that reads as, you know, very, it's very, uh, you know, Jurassic Park clever girl, right? It's, it's, yes. it's very, very well done, very, very well played. It's entirely possible that the AI, the AI just stepped onto this uh, random map and picked from the jump, okay, this is, this is the route we're taking to the objectives uh, and didn't really deviate from that, from that too much. Uh, but to me, at least, it means that I never know where the battle's going to be. It's not like a pre-rolled scenario where, you know, day one of Gettysburg, you always know where the action's going to be. You always know the way that fight is supposed to shape up. For the most part in this, you don't really have that information. And I think that allows, it, it allows the AI to sort of pass, pass that like tactical touring test uh, with, with a little more ease because you're not having so many situations where it is set up to reveal its artifice, to reveal its limitations. And then the fact it doesn't just suicide march troops into uh, firing lines goes the rest of the way to making this AI seem like a freaking genius. And, and, and also the fact that both you and the AI, sorry, I spoke over Troy, but both you and the AI have to deal with this beautifully elegant um, order delay where no, you don't get to tell your tanks who you ordered down the road, who are clearly walking into the ambush that you now see because of your recon yep. unit. You can't tell them to turn around until the signal gets through and goes through your chain of command, depending on the side you've got. And um, I mean, that's just exquisite, right? I mean, I think we've probably all run into those moments of like, oh no, there's <laughs> like, just this hilarious disaster unfolding and you can't stop it. Um, and, and you've got that look- freaking timer counting down for your orders yeah. to hit. Oh. <laughs> I, I remember calling the airstrike on myself um, as well of like, oh, wait, 
That's a really bad idea. And desperately trying to tell them, run, run, or canceling the airstrike and just none of it working. It was quite funny. The, it just, it, I think uh, Rob, uh, somebody pointed this out earlier, but just the fact that you're using the, that you're both on the same footing when it comes to information, I mean, really pushes scouting and recon to the very forefront of the game. And I think that's one of the things that the AI does very well. Which, um, which is why it gets to see me so often prior to me seeing it. Uh, it won't, um, this isn't an AI that's just going to move to contact. Uh, it's going to collect information on what you're doing first and then watch you uh, move into a position that's advantageous uh, for it. Sort of like you had described, uh, Rob, the way that you know, some of these, um, these other games sort of let you do. Uh, this is something collecting information has got to be the first uh, step on on anything, and uh, and so it. If you're defending, you're kind of at an advantage just because you have the opportunity to place scouts that are static or something like that, and and you'll be able to see things coming in. It's much I've, I've found it anyway uh, to be much more difficult to attack a, a position at all. I mean, yeah, I mean, my scouts in civilization will live two thousand years, and these guys can't last five minutes. I mean, it's just no. the most <laughs> absolutely brutal job in the world. But it's you've got to have your eyes. I mean, when I start a scenario, and you you have helicopters. Oh, thank God, I have helicopters. It's because they have a chance of at least seeing something and not necessarily uh, getting shot down very quickly. I have I'm not quite sure how the air cover always works if they set up. Uh, battle areas and movement areas, and it took me a while to figure out exactly what was going on there. Uh, but helicopters are really, really great scouts. Otherwise, yeah, you, you send your guys forward, and you, they have to make sure they can see something but not be seen, which is difficult because you want to see things quickly, and you can't move your scouts quickly through forest, but that's where they're not going to be seen. So you have this uh, tension between needing information as quickly as possible and knowing that you're going to need information long after these guys are probably dead. Um, because there could be a counterattack, there could be reserves coming. I mean, that's always my great fear, that I'm, I can see the first attack coming, and I can stop it, but I can't see the second wave because my scouts are gone, or my helicopters are shot down, and I'm exhausted and I'm overstretched. But I know something is coming, because the game hasn't told me that the game, that the battle's over yet. It hasn't said you're winning, and if I press end battle, it's a draw. So, oh no, there's more stuff out there that I've got to fight. Um, so it's not just it's not just having the eyes and ears, but keeping the eyes and ears alive, uh, which is just it's a challenge in most good war games. But really, so much in the I mean the war game, Yugen's uh, war game series is has this to an extent. But there's a point at which you know the scouts really don't matter anymore because. Everything's out there in the battlefield. You can see it. Here the scouts maintain their viability and importance well into any scenario you've built. Uh, they aren't simply disposable stuff to get you the first jump. They're not just the guys to make sure you can say, uh, I shot first. So, there we go. Well, and one of the things that the game will let you play with uh, for for glory or ignominious defeat, uh, depending on how things turn out, is you can set uh, firing ranges for your units. 
And you will be tempted to do that. And certainly I am. I'm constantly fiddling with this stuff. <laughs> because the thing is, like what a lot of uh, enemy forces are going to do is they're going to do a little bit of recon by fire. Um, you know, units with anti with uh, wire guided anti-tank missiles, for instance, love to just fire at the first thing with an engine they see in the distance. And so the first few times that happens and you realize that your uh, AT position has burned through uh, all its tow rockets uh basically before the battle began and all you have to show for it are a bunch of uh paper thin uh like you know soviet btrs uh, you know at that, at, at that point you're like that you know that was a complete waste the position is a shambles we're out of munitions uh so here's what i'm going to do uh we're going to give the don't fire to see the whites of their eyes order you know keep the position secret save on munitions but what you don't know is did that any recon unit see you and so the sheer number of times I'll be sitting there with my sort of um, firing ranges preset, waiting for people to walk into my ambush point, and I'll see a recon unit sort of pull up and stop. And at that point, I should know it stopped. I should already know that's, there's probably somebody already on the phone calling in what's, what's about to happen. And then again, you know, a few minutes later, uh, a helicopter might appear in the area and at that point you realize oh uh they've they've tumbled to this entire position uh we need to we need to book it out of here um and i i think that's a really cool aspect of this there's this sort of delicious risk reward uh that the game is constantly asking you to play with when it comes to setting up how aggressively you want your units to open fire uh, how aggressive, how how conservative you want them to be uh, in terms of letting enemies come into optimal ranges. And there's never, there's not a right answer. It depends so much on the vagaries of combat. You know, what are conditions that day? What is, what's the first thing that's going to appear up the road? Uh, but it constantly, again, creates this wonderful feeling of tension uh, in this game that really stands out among other war games uh, where this one always feels like a bit like uh, you know a, a suspense thriller in a way that a lot of war games are not for me. It's so Cold War, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, to the to the point where I'm having trouble adapting to it uh, because I'm used to like there being a little more attrition, I suppose, a, a little more of just units armies grinding into each other, and here. There is attrition matters, but it can happen so freaking fast. Yeah, these are, these are extremely powerful and extremely fragile units, which is one of my favorite uh, points in the conflict space. You know, like when you get things that punch hard and die quick, um, it's just delightful. When you, uh, particularly when you combine that with really heavy fog of war, limited orders. Um, it, it's, uh, I just, I think it's fantastic where, um, what is it? The, is it the Admiral Fisher comment about the British Jack Navy in World Fisher, War yeah. One? Yeah. Where is, yeah. He's like, I can, I'm the only guy who can lose the war in an hour. Right. <laughs> and and it, it feels like that, you know, like you, you, you're like, I literally, I've got this massive armored, powerful force, but I know that you know, I can just completely lose the whole thing in 10 minutes, like literally 10 minutes. Um, which is, and I, I love the fact that they've kept that yeah. uh, time scale as well. They're not going to worry about, you know, uh, resupply of your missiles, as you said, because, you know, that's going to happen tonight under cover of dark. You know, this battle is going to be over in an hour. 
Um, which is uh, again, it's it's lovely that they they didn't. Um, I think I think you kicked off the intro of the podcast about where they abstracted and where they didn't, um, and I think that's well worth exploring because they do this at a lot of different layers um, of they have this consistent level of abstraction that they're like, nope, we're you know we're at this meter scale, we're at this time time frame. Let's talk about um, one of my and, favorite decisions. For all the focus we've had on recon and information warfare in this game, they abstracted away reconnaissance. They abstracted away the recon phase, uh, which I think, again, right from the jump, is kind of a genius decision. You get to know a little bit about the battlefield before the action is joined, but not very much. It's it, Right. Recon, I feel, uh, remains part of the game uh, all the way through, uh, at least until the very like the, the mop-up phase, I suppose. But yeah, you, you, uh, you, to the end, you are not going to be able to shoot at anything that you can't see. So um, recon remains critical. And recon of terrain as well. I, I don't know if anybody else did this, but my first game, I started out with um, some tanks and I was approaching a town and I was like, well, it's obvious that the best way for me to approach this town is through these woods, right? You know, let's just drive through them. Um, and it let me place my tanks in the woods. And I was like, okay, great. Off we go. Unlike every other game where it would be maybe, I don't know, half speed, third speed in a wood. My tanks were literally navigating through those trees at five miles an hour. And they weren't going anywhere, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, they, to get out of those woods, because I put them in the middle of there, it was going to take them longer than the battle. So all of a sudden, I completely messed up uh, my deployment. And again, I was just delighted because it's consistent. You know, it was like, okay, you've serious, you've taken this seriously. I, the, the other thing that I, I found strangely effective in this game is just... For a game that looks as simple as it does, like when you zoom all the way out, it looks like a, a surveyor's map, uh, almost. It looks like a very, uh, very, very sort of dry-looking war game uh, in a lot of ways, a bit like maybe Command Ops, which is, is pretty damn good and can be exciting, but again, is not what I would call vivid by any stretch of the imagination. But there is something about this game, and I have trouble putting my finger on it, but... There is something very alive, very close combat-esque in the way as things begin to heat up, this is a war game that becomes harrowing, despite the fact that it doesn't have anything approaching like an Octung uh, Panzer or Company of Heroes level of like vivid detail. Nevertheless, it is a game that I'm standing there like clenching, like clenching my fists as a bombardment comes in or holding my breath as uh, anti-tank missiles uh, sort of go launching uh, from, from one position into another. And I, and I think one thing about it is, you know, when you, when, as you zoom in, uh, you, you find it has some, some fairly nice, uh, you know, sprite-based graphics. But also, I think this game does a very good job of, it's, it's never going to be like super vivid or super realistic in the way that, uh, a lot of more mainstream games are, but both in terms of like, you know, the sound effects and the audio you hear, uh, the little suggestions of what 
the weather is like on a given day, the, the, the brush of clouds blowing across the, uh, the, the camera, but also the information it just gives you as uh, visually as battle is joined, the, the uh, firing line sort of lancing out from unit to unit uh, as, as they sort of draw a bead on each other. Uh, the, the quick missile tracks you see as uh, you know, missile launchers take aim at a target. For some reason, this is a game that I feel like you know, I can feel every shot. And I can, you know, almost like I can see squads beginning to panic and break. I can see a infantry platoon just sort of put down its weapons and just run like hell. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to pull off for a war game that, that abstracts as heavily as this one does. Uh, but for me, at least, this ends up being a really exciting and evocative war game. I think so, too. And I, I think one of the reasons that it, it pulls that off maybe is because it's kind of so anti Hollywood. Um, even though you are getting these real time moments of, of, uh, of, you know, troops coming under fire or a tank suddenly exploding in the woods. Um, these are immediately readable as what would be cinematic moments or very dramatic moments. But uh, the, the visual, the presentation is, is Spartan enough uh, that, I, somehow it sort of shoots the moon and hits a sort of uh, level of authenticity that I, I think might be missing when we kind of see something that looks a little bit more like a uh, company of heroes or something like that. Uh, I, I'm captivated by it. And the other thing to know too, is that uh, as kind of, I mean, like you said, the, I mean, the, the visual presentation gets the job done and there's like, once you zoom in, there's, there's some nice uh, artwork, but it's, it's certainly not, um, it's not going to, win any awards for that uh there's a ton of uh information in each tile uh and one thing i wish i did a little bit better was to convey uh terrain elevation um it's pretty important uh when it comes to line of sight and it doesn't necessarily scan uh as dramatically as the terrain actually changes so um so that, that, i don't know if that's something that you could uh, fix with a little bit of with a shader or something like that but um uh, there is, in fact, a, a, a line of sight overlay that you can use, which can help uh, determine those things. But, um, but in any case, each tile of these enormous maps has uh, has quite a bit of information that's that's fairly important. I mean, just to, again uh, on the ranges and uh, scales that we're talking. I want a new. I want a new battlefield. I want to have more of this. I want more of these games. I want them to find another location. I don't care if it's the Middle East. I don't care if it's the Low Countries uh, or Korea. I want more of this Armor Brigade stuff. There's a guy who's working on a very detailed Chechnya map uh, in the Facebook group. Um, I've been actually really impressed with some of the uh, testimonials from this um, uh, computer wargaming uh a Facebook group that I'm in. There's some, you know, former mechanized infantry commanders who have picked this game up and like, oh yeah, I actually took my uh, infant or my Bradley uh, platoon or company to um, to the Fall of the Gap, or you know, this is we, we went back. I took took a squad to NTC for training or something. I mean, and, and they're absolutely taken with this game as well, which is usually a good sign. Well, I don't know if it's usually a good sign. I think it is in this case, but they seem to be buying into that uh, uh, authenticity too. But yeah, I think there there's there are at least some modders who are working on new maps, and the screens I've seen of the Chechnya one look really good. I, mean, I do think the UI could use some work in places. 
Sure. Um, especially for like formation orders and when am I supposed to left click, when am I supposed to right click? It's not always entirely obvious. Uh, I mean, but that's, I mean, th- we, we easily forgive these faults in war games because a number of war games with good AI can probably be counted on one hand. <laughs> um, but it's good UI. And so it's, but I do think, you know, I mean, there's, there's a very, they're a very small team. I was just looking at the credits list before the podcast started. There teams like five people. I mean, that's the marketing team yeah. we have. That's the marketing team we have for Europe Universalis 4. It's five people. You don't have to make a whole game. Um, so it's um, so I understand why the UI is kind of one of the last things people pay a lot of attention to. It's you know it's it's functional. Uh, it does require you know some learning, and I did have to dig out the manual, which is fine. Uh, and the scenarios, as Rod said, are good tutorial stuff for a lot of places. But you know it's it is a it is a, a game that I think I hope Slytherin. I would put us very well for Viteka, and I hope Slytherin for the publisher give these guys a chance to make another one and give them a, a good decent cut of the money and paid them well and paid them well enough that they can go back and iterate and improve and, you know, take the battle to the next phase, you know, ha- invade the Netherlands, have, you know, Dutch and French and Belgian and Canadian units uh, standing up against uh, the big Soviet menace. Or shatter your studio against the walls of a dynamic campaign, as so many war game developers have done before you. <laughs> oh no, no, we do not want that. Please do not go down that Rod route. Does. That's just, I'll take it. I'll oh, take it. Just link, link scenarios. Know, oh man, yeah, uh, that'll be so fun. Uh, link procedurally generated scenarios. Uh, I, I'd say that um, I would love new maps as well. And look, I'm going to buy any DLC they put out for this. But I would just, I just love more orders of battle, you know, like, you know, give me Angola, you know, 1978, give me, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam uh, versus Cambodia, you know, like, give me all of these Cold War conflicts that happened that were fairly lower intensity, because it fits their scale, like a charm. And, and I, I, I think that, um, you, you've, uh, somebody mentioned earlier the stories this game tells, and I think in in large part it's because they leave room for you. They don't, you know, the, the buildings they're always going to be these oblongs, and so you're going to have to project what they are. And even little things like the neutral units, like I had a couple of neutral units show up by this airfield. Well, okay, you know, in my mind these are the UN. Um, the local UN forces trying to escape, getting the heck out of the way of these two, um, these two forces firing. Or it could be, you know, refugees trying to escape. They never go into detail. They leave that room for you. Um, and little extra things as well, like you can put yourself in the battlefield if you want to be the, if you want the advantages of being the local commander riding your tank from the front, you can. And your communication times and your spotting times are going to be better, but you're going to die. Yeah, and then your game's over. Uh, and I, I, I think the little things like that are, um, they go a long way to helping these narratives that we all, we've all enjoyed, you know, from, again, I think very, very simple basics. Um, it was that choice and decision of time and space and the communications and flow of information, I think, that it's all rolled out from. Yes, I, I love the fact, too, uh, just to the point of the stories, 
being able to trust your uh, subordinate commanders a little bit is uh, is just that that sells something to me. That's uh, that I, I don't know that I can think. I can't think of another game that would do that. But but if you've got a company of uh, Abrams, uh, you can tell the the company commander go take that town, and they'll roll out in a formation that makes sense. I, that's something that just makes the the world feels so much more genuine too. So. Yeah. The, um, I, I think for me, the, the thing that remains to be done, and this is more me learning to play it is learning to bring all these systems together. The AI, the AI seems pretty good at it, right? The, the AI seems to sync up, uh, and it's pretty satisfying to watch those, those moments when it brings together the preparatory barrage uh, you know the 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 sprint forward of some armored vehicles, and then the follow-on, uh, you know, transport showing up, disembarking troops, that that sort of thing. Uh, the the real the real art of this game, as you sort of get into that higher level, uh, seems to be that ability to conduct the battle uh, almost the way uh, you, you know you conduct you conduct an orchestra right like getting the getting helicopters to effectively liaise with ground forces and then having an airstrike show up in the right place at the right time <laughs> uh, on top of that right now seems to me like uh splitting the atom uh right because <laughs> right now like even when i'm doing things well like at best two of those three th conditions will be met and then almost invariably either you know an airstrike is delivered to train that's now been cleared for like five minutes uh or it is delivered pretty much on top of my <laughs> leading edge of my armored formation uh that that's sort of the uh the place I, the place i find myself but it is consistently dramatic as i sort of bring these systems together and see the way uh the, the battle has this wonderful sense of dynamic flow and unpredictability uh as it unfolds um it it's pretty much as as close i think as i'm going to come to uh you know playing a playing one of the better larry bond novels i guess is the way i'd put it and and and, and that when you said that planning uh, and bringing it all together um you know, it, you really do generate stories that, you know, just about every memoir that I've read from World War II, you know, post-World War II onwards, they always talk about, oh, this is how the plan went wrong because we couldn't coordinate, you know, this and this. Like, the, the, these stories are always there in these memoirs, and this game captures that. And, and I do think it's – a lot of it is to do with the fact that, you know what, if you've, if you've mistimed your – your attack and your artillery is coming in too late. So now your infantry is going to get hit by a wave of fire before the suppressing artillery comes in. Um, in most war games, you would just hit cancel and immediately be able to, on a dime, change those orders and basically undo your mistake. Um, and you just don't get that option here. Um, and it's, it's all the better for it. I agree. Uh, I mean, combined arms warfare is difficult. Uh, it's what uh, armed forces around the world, uh, it, that's the capstone training piece uh, for all their, their cycles is some kind of combined arms exercise because getting all these things to work together in real life is hard. And I feel like uh, this really gets that message across better than anything I've ever seen. Okay, but Ian, 
are helicopters really this fussy about where they freaking operate? That's that's my question. Is the I can't fact get you have to set either. your loiter yeah. point before the battle, and oh, like man. if they are not effectively placed, if the if the pilots are not sitting on top of the area that you want your helicopter, oh lordy, try to get them to move. I can't. I cannot make that work either. So it's it's going to take some more time with for me. But uh, no, I I don't know, man. I, I feel like uh, it seems like a, you could probably hop on a Kiowa and go to a, a grid reference, right? I mean, that doesn't seem like it'd be too hard. Yeah, it's that is that is an odd choice for either one of the few places I'd say in this game the abstraction doesn't entirely make intuitive sense to me is uh the way the helicopter known for its ability to sort of loiter and navigate and traverse the battlefield at will turns into kind of this prima donna unit uh in this game it's like <laughs> nope I'm going to battle position 2 now and uh if there's something there I'll take care of it but if not um, yeah. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do think helicopters are, uh, they're not, they don't feel particularly well done in this game. They, they may be, they may be realistic. Maybe that's how helicopters are ordered around in the modern battlefield, but I agree. It's, it feels a little weird. Like, wait a minute. You can only go to these places, and I have to define it ahead of time. Yeah, is that right? I'm yeah, telling you, for... just fly twenty feet to the left. You'll see an entire armored column. I promise. Yeah, it's like the whole front end of your thing is made of glass. I mean, don't you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, ad admittedly, the United States, I think, is particularly good at this. But you know, even in the Vietnam War, you had local commanders who were very adept at working with. Uh, forward air observers and helicopters so it, it does seem a little bit too restrictive. tell you what i uh i don't know how the ai does it but i get lit up by Cass all the time Yo. so uh <laughs> does, <laughs> yeah does not apparently it can be done <clears throat> all right well i think that's a uh a, a pretty uh firm endorsement of, of this game uh i i've sort of this thing sort of appeared on my radar and has fast become uh you know, easily my favorite war game of the year. Uh, and I'm quite taken with whatever it's, wherever it's going to go next. Um, sounds like we're, we're all pretty much aligned on, on this being a uh, special game people should check out. Oh yeah. This is like one of the highlights. I mean, I'm, I'm glad this kind of came out at the end of the year. I mean, so many great games are out this time. They're not my kind of games. I am not playing Red Dead Redemption. I'm not going to be playing Just Cause. Uh, about me playing Smash. But this is kind of my seasonal gift, right? This is my end-of-the-year holiday prize, and I'm really, really keen on it. I agree. I think this is just a, I mean, for a very certain kind of person, and I think those are here, uh, this is kind of, you know, top 10 game of the year sort of uh, this, this kind of material. I'm, I know anybody, uh, my 19 Delta friends from a former life, I'll be happy to hear about the Scouts Out kind of uh aspect to it but yeah this is a special game this is great 100 100 agree it's 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 one of my games of the year um and uh, I, I i will also give extra kudos to slytherin because they've had a pretty incredible year this year um in terms yeah, of yeah. releases so kudos to them all right uh well that will do it uh for this week's episode of three moves ahead uh, as always, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted in the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. 
Uh, finally, 3 Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of 3 Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy, for Rod, for Ian, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>